it was essentially labeled that any Muslim that would vote for Joe for for, for Donald Trump was like a munafiq. Mm. How could you vote for him? Biden is clearly the lesser of two evils. How is that working for you now? Right. As they said, now we got uh, buyer's remorse. You're listening to the Middle Ground Podcast. This is your host, Imam Mark Manley from Middle Ground Muslim Center. Welcome to episode 10. I'll be joined again by Brother Daoud Aleman. And in this episode, we're going to discuss the topic of politics because we're coming up here in 2024, an election year. And with everything that's going on in the world between Gaza, Palestine, Yemen, Ukraine, and other places, we both have noticed that in some ways this is a a moment for American Muslims to reconsider their political uh, aspirations, their political engagements, and perhaps ponder what have we gotten out of all of this. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode, and as always, leave us a comment or any feedback. We bounce when, it, <laughs> when they get into when, the When they start to go, yeah. <laughs> They started to go off the rails. Mm-hmm. Then, um, that that's been my experience too. Whether it's been in, you know, like the conservative, uh, you know, I I don't consider myself as a label. Yeah, right? and that might tie into what we we're going to talk. Like I don't consider myself as a label, a conservative. Although clearly there are certain aspects of. You could say common conservative thought, mm. or what used to be maybe now better called traditional conservatism, that undoubtedly I would agree with, or as I would say, happens to overlap with my beliefs and my morality, right, as a Muslim. Mm. Uh, but then there's also, you know, <laughs> there's some, as we would say, there's oh, some yeah. other stuff, right, that's in there. Um. Definitely. So I, I, you know that that's why I'm very. I, I don't like it when people say, "Oh, you know, that's because you're a conservative." Uh, wait, wait a minute, man. Where do you get off calling me a conservative? I'm not. I'm not by any stretch of the mean. Matter of fact, if you were to talk to other conservatives, people that really carry that as a banner. They would, no, no, he's not. A, he's no conservative, which, which they would be right. I'm not, not by any means. Right. You know, um, yeah, people are funny, man. Um, well, you know, in the like you mentioning the the jargon that comes along with you being affiliated with either this party or that party or this mindset and thinking, you know, it it just doesn't. Ass- uh, that needs to be separated from us as Muslims and our perspective in living in this country. Like Man. we don't, you know, we don't have a card for that one. We don't carry a card for that one. However, their ideals, some of those might line up. They might have an overlap, and right? they might overlap. Yeah, but it's don't get it confused. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I think you know, maybe as a as a as a way to like 
you know, jump off here is that's it's very American, you know, um, not to say it's unique to America, but certainly I think it's very American. The need for a label. Yeah. We like labels and labels make us feel comfortable. That's why, you know, when you see something and it says, oh, you know, this is all natural and this is organic mm. and on and on. I feel comfortable to buy this product now because it's got a label on it. Right. You don't put a label on it. I'm a little uh I'm a little skeptical of this, right? So that's why we like to label others. Oh, she's a liberal and he's a conservative. Yep. That that that, you know, number one, now I ain't got to really talk with you, engage any of your ideas, um maybe even engage some of my own, you know, things that I held as truths. I don't have to I don't have to do any heavy lifting. I don't have to inconvenience myself. I don't have to get up out of my chair. Uh I can just that label now is affixed to you. Or I can affix a certain label to myself. I think that's also why we I, and maybe this is uh maybe this is the part that's more American about it. I mean I think it's a human tendency to like to label things. I mean even as Allah Ta'ala said like you know and we taught Adam the names of all things well what is you know a name is a label right mm. <laughs> you know so maybe it's just it's part of our 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 uh, our makeup as the sons and daughters of Adam right to to want to label things that being said we also like to apply labels to ourselves right uh, because that's also gives us so, and I and I think in America that's why you have people that are like, you know, I'm a you know I'm a conservative, I'm a traditional conservative, I'm for Trump, I'm a progressive, you know, uh, you know what 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 does that even mean? We're, you know, even like the term if you add, both of these right, conservative and progressive. For the conservative, what have you conserved? What is it that needs conserving? Because usually if you conserve something, it means it's precious, it's, it's rare. Has, well, what, what is it that conservatives conserve? <laughs> and then for progressives, right, uh, what are you, where were you, and where are you going? Like, what's the progression? And you'll find that once you start having this kind of conversation, then it usually kind of comes to a grinding halt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because now, like, well, wait a minute. Now we got to think. Nah, man, I ain't trying to think. What do you think I got these labels for, man? Here, right. you take your label. I've given you, I got, I mean, look, I even printed it out. A nice little name badge for you. You are a liberal. You are a conservative. You are a this. You are a that. Right? And, and you know, what? what I've heard is that, uh, liberals of the past are are stating like, well, it's not the li- the, the liberal of today is not the liberal of the past of that yesterday. I used to know. Right? No, not the liberal of yesterday. Yeah, it's all weirded out now, and so I don't even know where I belong. <laughs> you know, and I th- now I'm leaning more conservative. If anything, like some people might say, the liberals I've been I hear, and I think that's what happened. Like you know, especially the age that we're at now. 
not so much that I have really shifted or changed that much, but the world has shifted and changed around us. Mm -hmm. And so the label, like, if I were to think of myself, I haven't changed that much since I was a teenager. Right. I, I, I've changed some, but, <laughs> you know, the, the, the core element of that knucklehead that was there at 13, 14, 15 years old is still there. Sure. <laughs> you know, he's just a little bit more bald and a little bit more gray. Uh, and, and, and alhamdulillah, a, a, a tad bit more responsible. Mm. But the, the core of that person is still there. It's the world that has changed to where if you had probably asked me in, say, 1983, would you call yourself a liberal or conservative? I would have probably labeled myself liberal. Right. You know, because at one time, a person could be liberal, which could just imply more like easygoing, tolerant. Yeah. Though... That does not uh, and should not be confused with, I agree with everything you've said. Like, if you go back and you ask, if you were to ask me in 1982, how do you feel about homosexuality? My answer back then, and this is long before I was Muslim, sure. I was not raised in a Christian household. Like, my parents claimed to have some sort of Christian identity. Well, that's news to me because. I didn't go to church. I wasn't baptized. I knew that the extended family had a kind of Catholic, you know, something to do with that. But not me. I went to public school. Uh, Easter was about a bunny, not about the resurrection. (laughs) Jesus was about Santa Claus, not about the celebrating the birth of Christ. So I grew up very secular. Yeah. And I, I knew kids, you know, even at that age, that you know, uh, identified or claimed homosexuality. And we went to school together. Wasn't no big deal. At the same time, like, I don't rock with that. That's right. not, I, I can't condone that. I don't co-sign that. And so now, fast forward, you know, 40 years, 35, 40 years later, the same me holding the same set of beliefs, perhaps a bit more refined yeah. now, but still the same core set of beliefs. Now that same person is called a conservative. I'm like, wait a minute, what? How's that? No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> that's not me. Because again, what my understanding of conservatism back in 1982, when I was a teenager, would have you know would have been. No, I'm not with them people that are like basically white supremacists, you know, anti-immigrant. I was never anti-immigrant. I mean, number one, my grandmother came here as an immigrant. Most, more than half of my friends as a kid were people from all different countries. Mm -hmm. Some of them through legal and illegal immigration. Right. (laughs) Right. So that's what I'm saying. For me, it's like it's the world that has done its own, you know, uh, uh, flexion. Right. You know, but I really feel like I've pretty much remained the same. Remained, you know, pretty consistent. A, 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 a similar, you know, a similar person. I, yeah, I probably I, I probably wasn't as intellectual about my beliefs as I am now. Sure. 
Um, Definitely. But yeah, man, labels. Well, you know, and 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 I I I feel the same. Uh, the thought processes of politics and social constructs, um, legality, didn't really change with me either. But and that's why I'm I'm always kind of dumbfounded when I hear people, especially in our religion, that conform to the modern times and bend over and, you know, really, you know, promote and, 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 and feel we need to, we'll go with the, with the homosexuality thing, need to support that or, you know, from a human rights perspective, if you right. will, you know, and they soften it. I'm like, no, man, now I'm really got a stance now because yeah, of my religion. Yeah. And it's really refined. And, and now we have some legal standing as we were kind of were talking about this jargon and language. Um, a lot of, this is not acceptable. So it was always an undertow in my family that, you know, th- as we've always heard the term, that's in the closet. Right. You're, you're, you know, you're in the closet or that's a clo- that's, you know, whatever. Yes. But yeah, it, it, so conservative, conservatism was consistent in my family, um, and I was brought up that way, and you know, instilled with, if you will, some morals and ethics, and you know how you behave, and uh, with elders and 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 people in general, and you know, helping the neighbors, and you know, so that was there. I grew up around that. I saw it. Um, had friends, like you said, from, you know, immigration wasn't a big issue because we were the, the minority, so to speak. So, right. Yeah, right. You know, growing up, you're always the minority. And then I found out what the minority really is. You know, we always would say, hey, wait a minute. Aren't we the majority? We're the main population here. No, minority means you don't have the amount of money <laughs> that this one or two percent mm-hmm. people have. That's where you right, are the minority. Right. Oh, OK, I get yes. it now. But but the point was, is that, you know, the the world has changed, like you said, and rebranding and relabeling um, of people's position, thought, affiliation uh, is now turned upside down. Where you once thought you were this, or maybe like that, it's no longer that. You you have been redefined, and that's the beauty about Islam. There is no redefinition. You're a Muslim. And, right. and this is what constitutes a Muslim. That's it. One, two, three. And it's very clear. Cut. Right. There's, no, right. there's no. And people want to. Well, we need like progressives. We were talking about that. Well, well, we need to be more progressive in the Quran. We might have to change. Well, that's not like some of these cats with the Constitution of America. Well, we need to, you know, be more progressive. Might have to do away with this Constitution and rewrite it because it's not working. No, 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 no. You guys have your thing. Keep it. It's pretty good. Our, our, our Quran is just fine. There ain't no change in it. We don't need to rewrite it or take some parts out. It ain't right. going to happen. Right, right. You know? I mean, and I think, you know, one, I think uh, what you said was important in terms of also expanding the dialectic beyond a binary mm. um, in terms of liberal conservative. And using my family and probably the same with yours as an example. By no stretch of the means would I would have considered, or would I still consider my parents to be conservatives. In fact, I know that probably when it came to the vast majority of conservative political candidates mm. over, say, just the last two or three decades, 
I don't see my parents voting for any of them. Maybe right. they did. I don't know. But they certainly have expressed their uh, disagreement with them and even disapproval, right? Mm. Depending, you know, uh, uh, ranging from, you know, Trump, who, of course, is not really a true conservative, um, you know, again, back two or three decades, versus people that are traditionalist. And I think that's an, that used to be an important part of both classic liberal and conservative thought was also the notion of tradition. Like you mm-hmm. said, you know, being, you know, you know, being kind to your neighbor, showing respect to elders, your parents, mm-hmm. um, the idea of, you know, having duties, being trustworthy, responsible, reliable, you know, those other kinds of things. And that, Rejecting things like two men being in a sexual relationship and rejecting that was not seen to have been chauvinistic in the slightest mm. um, and was not always concomitant with some type of uh, uh, physical punishment, but rather, most importantly, just a rejection of it as an ideal, mm. full, you know, lock, right. stock, and barrel. Um but then you touched on the other point about, well, as a Muslim. And we do see Muslims in the West and in particular in America still having a great fascination with uh, politics. And my question, I remember wh- one of my teachers said, and I I think it's a great question, is what do Muslims want from America? One, because right? there's going to be any politics before we get to picking a candidate. Oh, you know, now we're going to go with Cornell West, or now we're going to go with uh, Joe Biden, or we're going to go with whoever. What is it that Muslims even want out of their lives as Americans? What do they want out of politics? And to answer the first, what do they want out of America? Is politics even capable of delivering on what it is that they want? And I feel that's more like, uh, you know, like in Arabic, what we call, you know, iftirad. It's more like a an assumption that ah, as an America, as an American Muslim, I want A, B, and C. And therefore, the vehicle to get me what I want, it is politics. And there is no other vehicle, there's no other instrument to use. And I think this has been, to me, this is the cause of the great disaster of American Muslims' experimentation with politics and its disastrous consequences it's having on Muslim thought because it, you know, People like to say, oh, well, you know, religion and politics are two separate things. Mm, not really, in my opinion, in that life is not so tightly defined and walled off into its own hermetically sealed, you know, uh, containers, and mm. that one will bleed into the other. Religion will bleed into politics. Politics will bleed into, bleed into religion. Uh, and so... 
I feel what never, nobody ever really stops to ask the question is, well, A, what is it that we want? And then B, is politics, is that the best way to get it? Is that the best way to get there? Let me look at the history of politics in America and let me see like people that were, you know, that had hopes and aspirations of whatever it was that they wanted in their lives. What's the ROI? What's the return on investment in their engagement of politics and how successful have they been at that? And so, uh, as my friend Shakir and I talk a lot, we are very skeptical about the long-term results of, just for instance, African Americans in politics. Now, we're sold a bill of goods and sold a narrative that uh, the political process has bequeathed to African Americans, you know, uh, such you right. know, you know, great success. <laughs> But then when you look at the state of black America, it's like, uh, you know, now we're not discounting things like the civil rights movement. But if you look, there there are certain metrics that you can look at. Like, uh, I mean, if you just look at the black individual and family post, uh, pre and post civil rights, there are some very troubling metrics about the quality of black life. Now, nobody questions black life under Jim Crow. Uh, like, alhamdulillah, that is now a thing that has largely been put in the refuse bin of, of history. Mm. But uh, what is... We we we. Why is it that we still find so many issues today? I know this is not very popular. When you start to talk this way, particularly uh-uh. as a black person, then the other labels come out like Uncle Tom or, you know, and I'm you know I am not somebody that is in love with you know the Thomas Souls of the world where I'm just you know I I'm not a black conservative right, and I have my major criticisms of people like Thomas Sowell. Um, I'm not saying that he doesn't have anything uh, valuable to say at all. That would also be quite ridiculous. But I'm I'm, I'm not some somebody just towing a black conservative line to be sort of contrarian or uh, McWhorter, you know, like John McWhorter. That kind of, I'm I certainly do not fall into that category whatsoever. But nonetheless, there are some issues, existential issues that black folks face today that uh, should be a lot better than what they are. And I think it's because of this this fantasy of putting all of our, you know, it's like, it's like we're gambling. We're going to put all of our chips on lucky number seven called politics. And even though we keep losing, you know, it's like, America just keeps telling black people, well, here, just let me blow on your dice again one more time for good luck yeah. and throw it again, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we just keep crapping out. And so if you look at some of the changes going on in American Muslim mentalities towards their religion, 
not towards how they look at America mm -hmm. or themselves, towards their religion. Oh, we're going to have to reconsider this uh, immorality of homosexuality. <clears throat> we're going to have to consider this or consider that to the right. point where, you know, there was a very popular Muslim, what are they called now? Influencer? Yep. Activist, influencer, a couple of years ago was saying that, uh, and this person doesn't live in Texas, they live in the East Coast, but they were saying that any Muslim that would vote for Ted Cruz, right, who's a, he's like the kind of guy that people love to hate, and I'm saying, I don't, I certainly don't have any like or respect for Tom, for, for Ted Cruz, but that aside, any Muslim that would vote for Ted Cruz, then their Islam is in question. That sounds like the Biden, the Biden, uh, <laughs> any black person who doesn't vote right. for me, you're not black. What? Although it <laughs> tends to not play as well on the B side that if you were to flip and yeah. play that record backwards and say, well, anybody that would vote for Joe Biden, your Islam is in question, doesn't seem to gain, you know, the same kind of traction or footing. Right. Even though now... Everybody clearly with how this administration has supported the genocide in Palestine and their undying, unwavering support to continue to write blank checks to Israel and sending over billions of our tax dollars to them. They're all enraged at the Biden administration. But the minute you say, well, wait a minute, didn't y'all, weren't y'all at the iftar at the white house didn't you weren't weren't all y'all like pro biden didn't y'all all have to go make a ghusl after biden said <laughs> alhamdulillah or inshallah or whatever that it was i mean and this is what i mean that the 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 the, the, the blowback who was it ron paul that talked about blowback yeah. right the blowback of american muslims and they're kind of clumsy uh uh, wading into American politics is now that that's causing them to reinterpret their religion in a new light. But now, look at what that's really not, you know, that's why to me, I said, wow, man, you know, I, I think I got in trouble for saying that anybody that voted for Biden, anybody that supported that regime, I really think that they need to do some soul searching. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you can, I, I, again, I am not a fan of Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump personally is a horrible person. He's open about his philandering, womanizing. He is an absolute moral catastrophe. Because unlike the other politicians that, you know, do it in the dark and only once in a while, like when, you know, Jeffrey Epstein hangs himself oh, in a cell or something, oh. then we get a list, right? But the thing with Trump is that he was open about it. So he's he's like a fasik. Uh And so I have, no, I have no love for Donald Trump. But Muslims that were saying that basically any, any Muslim that voted at the time of, you know, let's forget about what's happening right now. At the time that Biden and, and Trump were contesting for presidency it was essentially labeled that any muslim that would vote for joe for for, for donald trump 
was like a munafiq. Mm. How could you vote for him? Biden is clearly the lesser of two evils. How is that working for you now? Right. As they said, now we got uh, buyer's remorse. Oh, but, man, yeah. You know, and, 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 I, and I, I, I think a lot of Americans are feeling this way, whether they're admitting to it or not. But regardless, I, I, I'll bring up, because there's sometimes definitions play a big role in informing us, right? And we forget definitions of things because we're, uh, we're not um, kind of doing our homework we also have a, a repetitive case, a chronic case of amnesia. Amnesia, <laughs> right. Or, you know, and just indoctrination of, you know, well, this is how it's always been. No, not really. And so let me just give a quick definition in regards to democracy and a republic. And we always hear the republic, and that sounds like maybe a banana republic, or it's so foreign. Like, we don't even know what a republic is, actually, for some. So we know democracy, majority rule. And some would say, well, is this really a good idea, majority rule? Because if I can get enough people and influence them as an yes, influencer, yes. whether that be money, goodies, whatever it might be, uh, uh, a promise of the promised land, <laughs> you know, you're going to get it all. Yes. Then I can get you on my side and then say, hey, I'm the ruler now. Yeah. And. All of you people who voted for me, well, screw you too. I got to do what I got to do. Yes, yes. And so some people forget that majority rule might not, it might go against what you wanted. So that's not always a good thing. Yeah. And actually, from my understanding, uh, this country was more founded on a republic. And a republic is representative form of government ruled by a constitution. And it seems as though if that is the case, and we this country has a, constitution it seems to be overruled by an administrative style of rule whether that be through the courts mandates we saw that with covid all of a sudden you're you're being told you have to do something so where went where was all your rights so that's part of democracy they potentially could trample the rights of others because the majority rules so bringing that definition into context and then looking at it as a muslim and maybe we'll go there in a minute, the Islamic perspective of, of ruling and where does that fit in? Is it a republic? Is it a democracy? Is it a monarch? Is it, what is it, right? Um, and is it a montage of all? That might be something interesting to know because then that could position your thinking of, well, should I even participate right. in such a place? <clears throat> you know? Yes, yeah. Right. So, well, well, first, what are your thoughts on democracy, republic, should we be kind of leaning towards a republic and forget this democracy? Because it's not working out in too many other countries where we try to institute so-called democracy. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting that Plato, you know, because they like to talk about the ancient Greeks and, you know, it's all based off of, you know, their stuff. But Plato himself was actually uh, critical of democracy yeah. as a system, right? That he considered it, uh, somewhat dangerous and even uh, susceptible to manipulation because of uh, it had too many input points, mm. right? So, like you know, if if it's a, if it's the majority, then you know, or everybody gets to vote, right? Then you have all these uh, 
they have all these points of entry into you know determining how we'll, we'll rule and so one there's no idea of hikmah right there's no idea of wisdom as it relates to coming up with the best way to rule upon what's morally correct and that what a lot of people today think of as rights are actually more like entitlements. Mm. And so just take the whole gay marriage uh, issue, right? That it is framed as a right, even though marriage in itself is not a right. Marriage is an entitlement. So whatever form of marriage you want to talk about, whether you're talking about homosexual marriage or polyamorous or what we call polygyny, mm-hmm. right? Like getting married is not a right because rights must be fulfilled one way or another. Right? There, there's a, with, there's, you know, in the hukuk al-wujub. Like when you have rights, then there's an obligation mm. for them to be. And so if we label marriage a right, then it's, imagine saying, like, I have a right to get married. So whether she likes it or not, there's some woman out there. You know, if it ain't her, it's the next one or the next one. Like, one of these women is going to marry me no matter what. Come hell or high water, sorry. Or, you know, you're down to the last woman. Well, they all refuse. Well, sorry, you're the last unlucky woman on earth. You've got to marry me uh, because I have a right to get married. And so, uh, and that's what I meant. Like, when what what is it that Muslims want from America? What is what are the expectations of America? What are the expectations of the American political uh, system? And do they understand how it works, or are they assuming what's in their head? Co, you know, co, uh, you know, basically is congruent. With the system, so I have an idea in my head about entitlements, and they're saying rights, and like, oh well, those are all basically the same. No, they're not the same. They're not the same. Um, and I'm sure there's actually quite a few situations in which the reverse would be true. Yes, there are things uh, that have to be done, and so. When we think about it today with the situation, um, I was just watching a video of this guy who uh, he's, um, I don't know, again, another whatever influencer, but his thing is like he goes around the country and he reviews restaurants. Mm -hmm. And so I guess he's very popular. And so like if he happens to go to a restaurant and gives it a good review, then the restaurant kind of blows up, you know, becomes very popular. So he went to the Bay Area recently and he was hoping, like he went to Oakland and I think he was hoping to review a couple, you know, restaurants. But man, the situation up there has gotten so wild, wild west that, you know, He's like, man, I, I couldn't even do my thing up here, right? And everywhere you went, there was, you know, people on the street. And and there's this idea in America that, well, these people living on the street, what we will call mesakin, right, these poor people, 
al-fuqara al-masakin you know that they them being fed and taken care of are it, that's an entitlement right mm. versus a right no 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 the quran makes it very clear they have a right mm-hmm. to it right um like you take certain passages like from the 70th chapter surah al-ma'arij uh that they give they you know giving to the poor because actually as we know in islam zakah right that's a right that that the poor even though we're talking about muslim poor but still that idea is that they do that that's not whether i feel like giving it or not right they do that right so and i it, you know i really feel like i don't i don't i don't feel that american muslims have really carefully paused and thought especially now okay we've been through we've been through bush we've been through obama we've been through trump and and biden now i think now maybe is a good time to stop before we run and start and like you know they just had him out here a week ago like Cornell West who's running for president and now all the muslims are like oh yeah we should vote for Cornell West because he's pro palestine all right mashallah that dr west is pro palestine but he's also ultra pro lgbtq yeah. <laughs> and many other things and so again before we just rush yeah uh, headlong into that no. Based on emotional thinking, like okay, sure, we all are in an emotional state over Palestine, but just as we thought that Biden would be the lesser of two evils, and how he's clearly shown him to be the greater of two evils, <laughs> maybe we should stop acting so impulsively. And really rethink, Man, number one, are politics even really necessary to get what we want out of life? This is the point. This is the point. And, and again, let me just go back to a, 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 another definition because the, the idea here, the mindset, like you're saying, what do we want from this? Muslim, non-Muslim, people come into this country have some expectation where that might be, oh, I finally get democracy and I have the freedom to vote. Or, you know, I've heard a lot of brothers that, you know, no, no, this is different than my country and I, I finally get to vote. I can make a difference. And your difference didn't really help too well, did it? And like I will say, whatever your expectation was, or you might sit in the cut a little bit, you know, getting your enclave of just your group, your people, speak your language, eat your food and stay where you need to be. Well, until it comes to your doorstep, well, you didn't really think all this out, did you? Whether that was voting, non-voting, when certain policies, mandates come to your doorstep, certain groups and you have to do this and your children have to be taught this and you're going to obey this. Wait, what happened? I thought I was in a democracy. I thought right, I could just yeah, live yeah, simply yeah. and be by myself and just eat my ethnic I mean, food even because, and- again, these words are so disarming. You know, we're beaten over the head with this this mantra of democracy and voting and for the people, by the people. Those are merely slogans. The reality is obviously 
starkly in contrast to that. Just take the current situation. That I, I, I would say without having done any sort of official poll that a significant chunk of Americans are against the war right now right. in Israel and especially funding it with our tax dollars. Because I've seen, uh, oh, yeah. I've been paying attention on uh, Twitter or X, whatever it is now, and yeah. I've been looking at opinions of many so-called conservatives that are actually pushing back on this idea of, um, you know, because they're all about America first, America first. And now they're starting to, okay, if I'm really America, I can't have a like an exception clause in there. If it's really America first, then it's got to be about America first. Right. And just sending all of this money over to Israel and, and, and just – Never just this blank check that they're giving, and so you have a number of conservatives that are also uh, uh, would be willing to vote for not only a ceasefire but a complete cessation on funding foreign governments of this continued military intervention into uh, other societies and countries, and yet even I think if it were like eighty percent disapproval rate, these people because of the porous nature of the structure of politics, they don't need our approval. Right. right. You can have absolutely abysmal approval rating, and he can still cut that check to Israel, he can cut that check to the Ukraine, yeah. he can choose to spend money on whatever they want, and, 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 and not spend a dime on anything going on in America about you know, healthcare issues, infrastructure, you name it. And so they've sh- they've shown, APAC has shown, you think you run this country? No, no, no. <laughs> we run this country. Yeah. You know? Until they ena- so you, know, you can't have a, a serious the draft. conversation and consideration of politics in America without a realization that the system has been hijacked and it's not really in control. So when you vote, what does it matter if you vote? And again, you yeah. want to vote, vote, whatever. But I'm saying, how can you, how can you vote based on the mantra of one man, one vote, one woman, vote, one vote by the people for the people? When do your part? <laughs> it really isn't as simple as that, right? The mantras are very reductionist. But the actual system is much more complicated. I've even, I've always wondered, how can you have a conversation about democracy and you have these people that have been in office in Congress longer than I've been alive? Hmm. No, I don't. You know, who, when they came in, compared to what they're at now, have enriched themselves by millions and millions of dollars. Like, hello. And so... Whether I vote or don't vote, even if I don't vote for that person, somehow that system keeps perpetuating itself, yeah. right? And so I, I just really feel like maybe now we've reached a high water mark where the ma- the mascara is running now a little bit <laughs> and the makeup is peeling off and the curtain is being pulled back to where... 
even if we didn't vote, and here, my, you know, you have the anti-voting people. I think that, fine, you don't want to vote or you advocate for not voting, but there has to be a conversation just simply upon not voting. What are we going to do, though, as a community of Muslims, if we vote or if we don't vote? If we vote, what are our expectations? What do we want from America? And if we don't vote, ah, not vote. okay, what do we still want? out of living here, and how do we get it? Right. You know, um, I mean, I've always found it very curious that, especially on the national stage, there's there's not a very strong political participation in the Asian American community. But they seem to do fairly well for themselves. That they don't look upon politics as their savior they might you know they seem to sometimes be active especially in areas where there's a large asian community they might be involved in local politics and business and other things like that but they don't seem to be like oh like not not the way especially i feel like it's sold to us as black people and the way that it was kind of sold to muslims right is that oh man you're gonna you're gonna get all this all this stuff with politics. It's like going to a, when I was a kid, you go to a comic book convention, right? And you get a swag bag, you know, and you look in there and it's like everything that you didn't want, you know, it was all worthless, you know? So we're all, we're promised this swag bag and it's like, "Mm, that doesn't really seem to be producing anything. So I, I, I think that we need a, we need a different conversation about politics, one that moves beyond the binary of like, yay, we all got to vote and lesser two evils, or no, we just got to stay out. Well, I think we have to really have a conversation. What do Muslims want out of their life in America? What do we think would constitute the good life in America as Muslims that not only would be good for us, but we probably also feel would be pretty good for a lot of other people as well um if we want to achieve that through politics that has to be demonstrable and if it looks like it's not going to be obtainable through politics well then how else do we get it yeah and those are questions you know uh we'd really have to consider and you know have some expertise in plan B, right? And really join together and thinking about that cooperatively as opposed to breaking off, you know, and I'll, I'll just read this for the listeners. Uh, in, in a democracy, the majority can override existing rights. In a republic, the majority can't override the rights protected by a constitution. And so we know from from our our Islamic perspective, we have two worlds we're living in. We have the material world and we have this unseen world, the gay. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is controlling both. So if you stick with the Quran as our path and guidance, if you will, a constitution, it's clear and you will be protected. But we always default. We want to go over here and, you know, the pie tastes a little bit better over there. I want to, you know, maybe... I don't know if we really want to follow the sunnah and do all that stuff. We have to bend that a little bit so we can practice this over here. And 
the grass is never going to be greener over there when you leave behind the mandates of our religion. That, that's just the bottom line. So putting that in perspective first, I think, is the, is the, the first foot forward. So what does Islam Naki, say about, we'll get to voting in a minute, but is Islam a, a democracy, a republic, a monarchy? I mean, how is it defined? How did the Prophet Islam establish uh, the rule and, and governance? Oh, man. <laughs> Not how did he, but what? Well, yeah, what is it, it falling? Is well, let's say, is is Islam a democracy? Uh, no, if we consider right the definitions of democracy that we already discussed, then uh, no. That being said, it doesn't mean that it is all uh, dictatorship, whether mm. benevolent or malevolent. No. Um, two, obviously, there is, you know. Uh, we have to understand the the time that the Prophet ﷺ lived, you know, even though he obviously took counsel from uh, his companions, from his followers, uh, at the end of the day, it was also clearly understood, like, he is the Prophet. <laughs> um, we don't live in a time where revelation is going on, right? Revelation has has, has ceased. The Prophet ﷺ has passed. And so now we are in the, the time of Khilafah, right? Mm. In the idea that Khilafah not being an Islamic state, or but what? We are now going to inherit, we're going to come after, you know, Khalfa, right? Like we're going to come afterwards from him. No single human being, and indeed, no single group after the death of the Prophet ﷺ will be able to have an, a monopoly on uh, correct understanding. Mm. No matter how brilliant you are, no matter how many ijazas you are, no matter uh, whether you have memorized the entirety of the Qur'an and the six books of hadith, and you, it doesn't matter. Um, and so there there can no longer be one person that is ma'asum. There's no isma, there's no infallibility anymore. Uh, and so we live now in a time of fallible uh, human interpretation of trying to actualize what is the good life to live. Okay, alhamdulillah, we accept that. Um, is this, does Islam condone voting? Well, I would say that in a certain kind of broad sense, you could say yes, because after the Prophet ﷺ passed, um, and then the, uh, the, the, the the leadership of the Muslim community passed to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, you know, may Allah be pleased with him, uh, and then as it related to the other three of the four first leaders of the Muslim community that came after, there was definitely some voting, so to speak. I mean, people voice their opinion. Well, who should lead? Well, I think it should be Ali. Mm. I think it should be Uthman. I think it should be Umar, right? Uh, and so you had the companions uh, voicing their opinions of, you know, who that should be. If you want to call that a vote, okay, you know, fine. Now, it wasn't necessarily like a straight tallying of numbers, but if you want to say that, so... Um, 
fine. But then, what it what, what you know what was it then that either Abu Bakr or Omar or Uthman or Ali, what were they going to rule by? By their understanding of the Quran and of what the Prophet ﷺ left, to the best of their flawed human capacity, right? And then within that, the idea of shura, mm. right? Which is like a council. So you have like, there, there's going to be a leader, but the leader has people that he takes counsel from. Yeah. However, once a decision has been reached on certain things, okay, you go with that. So um, I think, again, part of part of what is really troubling about this conversation and sometimes hard to have is that we've been so the o- the only reality that we have ever known is living in you know western liberal secular democracies yeah. and so we feel that we must uh, articulate islam uh in a way that essentially it reproduces Western secular democracy right. just with a different set of clothes or <laughs> different spices or or whatnot, and not really daring to say that hey, you know what um societal leadership in this you know from a Muslim perspective will be different than societal leadership from a ethnocentric or post-European secular way. And so that's why, you know, all this talk about, you know, well, you know, uh, and I don't know how they can say this, that Israel is the only uh, secular democracy in the Middle Mm. East. Mm, No, it is definitely not secular. Um, And it is not democratic Mm. by, you know, not any more than America really is, as you said, democratic. Right. It's 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 clearly not. Um, well, maybe it is actually. <laughs> and they just override any any policies. Well, the, yeah. I mean, that idea of like, it's just merely the will of the, you know, so um, having the have, I think, I think, again, having the bravery uh, to dream and conceive of what societal construction, what it would be built on leadership how we run in a way that might you know differ let alone contradict what western democracies uh are uh, uh, are built and constructed upon um because the it's been conveyed to us almost as if like with the american constitution that it might as well have been another book from the heavens that allah revealed Right, yeah. You know, it's spoken with such reverence that it might as well be tenzil. It might as well be revelation from upon high. Right. Um, And the reverence for the founding father. I mean, the whole discourse around it drips with religious fervor. Oh, yeah. um, Versus, all right, this is some dudes that had some pretty decent ideas. Uh, they also might have been ideas for the times that they lived in for the objectives that they wanted to have, right? So they conceived of a, a, a system of governance that would actualize their wants and desires. What did they want? 
Did they have some idea that from everybody from all over the world was going to come to America and be equal? Damn sure not. <laughs> Did they have the idea that women were going to be equal? Hell no. Was Were, were the Negro slaves going to become equal? Hell no. I mean, they didn't have no idea, none of this. No, they said, look, we want to be free from this, from this British monarchy. We're going to take this land from these savages uh, because it's manifest destiny, and we're going to fashion it and shape it in our own image to actualize our own wants and desires. And that's what they did. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't, I mean, those guys were definitely smart dudes, but they were not prophets, and that's not the suhuf of Ibrahim or the tablets of Moses, and it show enough ain't the Quran. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, um, I think that we deal with it in the same way like when the Muslims arrived in Medina. All right, man, this is this, this, this the spot we're going to be in. We want to carve out our life here. Now, you can either get with this Islam or not. And if you don't, lakum dinakum waliyadin. Mm. That's why the Prophet ﷺ, right, they literally had the constitution of Medina. Right. Where it was like, we want to carve out our own space, but we're not here to, look, if you accept it, you do, alhamdulillah, if you don't, you don't. And it enshrined the rights of other people. It wasn't trying to force nobody to be nothing. It wasn't trying to take nothing away from nobody. Right. But, and, and, and I think that's the spirit of any, that's why I was saying, Muslims need to reconsider, what is it that we want? When the Muslims went from Mecca to Medina, they knew what they want. They wanted to have a space where they could live as Muslims and not be persecuted and fulfill the hukuk of Allah, fulfill the rights and the obligations of Allah and fulfill the rights that they that they felt they had to the other believers and even others in society that weren't like them. Uh and so they had a they had a mission. They had, you know, what is our mission here in America? You got to make money, man. What are you talking about? Okay, fine. I mean, obviously, you do need to make money. No, I mean, from my, from my Mercedes Benz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ain't even mad at that, man. If okay. you want, if you want the Mercedes, okay, hold your law, man. You know the, you know, again, we we are right, for my Tesla. You know, whatever that it is. Right. You know, you want, you know, the the Tundra, the Tesla. You know, whatever you want, right? I think again, we have to think more broadly on what what kind of life do we want to live? Do we want to live a life where um, it's easy for us to hold our beliefs as Muslims and pass them on generationally? Right. Or is it all about the here and now? I want to be I want to be free to be a Muslim and I don't want people to not like Islam or not like Muslims. And so it's really all about me in the here and now, but I'm not doing anything to lay tracks for my kids and my grandkids and people that will, that will, you know, uh, hopefully can remain in this land as Muslims, you know, long after I've turned into worm food. Um, not thinking of it like that. That's what I mean. Like, what is it that we want? Do you want halal food? Okay, fine. Then, you know, what are we doing then to uh, have a major stake in the way that you know, food is made in America, food is produced. We love to moan and groan about how the food here is like poison. Okay, well, what are we doing about that? 
Or are we just kind of complaining and we have an expectation that the state should then provide all these things for us? And I can certainly tell you to go back to that conversation about black folks in politics in America and some of the things that are not right in black America is this expectation and reliance upon the state to make the good life for you, to determine for you what is the good life, uh, and to banish to the periphery what it deems to not be the good life. That's kind of like, that's to me, that's the jam we're in right now. You know, the state wants to say the good life is two men get to get married. I say, n- 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 not within my boundaries. Do you want to do that stuff? Go over there. But you're not going to tell me that I have to condone uh, children having sexual uh, reassignment surgery, that if my kid gets some crazy idea in his or her head, that now I, I have an obligation to... Uh, bring that craziness to fruition, otherwise I can face some type of sanction. No. Oh, and that's what right? you're telling me. Right. So I'm, that's what I'm saying. You know, Muslims are, 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 are so busy being fixated by this or that candidate that will merely play to their emotions. But once that candidate gets in office, will actually betray them every single time and will actually work to frustrate the flourishing of a, of a healthy, vibrant Muslim life in America, right? right? I'm telling, ta- I'm ta- go ahead and vote for Cornell West. I'm telling you, it, it, you're going to have the same problems because you're number one. You're not building anything yourself. It's all this. We're going to put all of our energy and hopes into the political system with the expectation that out of that it will then produce for us the good life versus I got to get about making the good life for me. That's right. That's right. So just, uh, you know, my own perspective, and we're going to jump into the voting, then should Muslims vote in a non-Muslim country in general? Oh, man. Should we be voting? I might have to get the strap for this kind of one. This will be hairy, yeah, because I've had plenty of debates. <laughs> Not so much prior to Islam, because I came from a time where we all just thought, man, it doesn't matter who you vote exactly, for. Exactly, yeah. They're yeah, going to put yeah. Chuck or whoever they yeah, want exactly, in there, no matter yeah, what yeah, you do. Yeah. So we were always under the impression that, you know, we always had a proverbial uh, tinfoil hat. <laughs> I'm yep, sorry. We were yep, always skeptics. Yep. And you know what, man? There's some under uh, hidden hand that's uh, managing all of this. So we were always felt like that. So what would what difference would it really make? Because we've always seen since, you know, the 70s on through to Jimmy Carter and, and all the rest of the succession of, of people, with the exception sometimes we might say with Reagan, but I think the hands that be said, you know what, after this joker, we're never going <laughs> to yeah. let the vote get out of our hands again. And they, they taught him a lesson, too, when they tried to assassinate him. But not that he was the end all, doing great on this side, doing right, great right, on that right. side. There was a lot of, you know, anyways. So I've always felt, well, why, why, why waste my time with this, man? I need to carve out what I need to carve out for myself and do what I got to do. 
and find some like-minded people. But once I got into Islam, my understanding was we don't need to participate, I'm sorry to say, in a Kafir system. We didn't see the Prophet do this. Well, let's go, you know, maybe we can uh, get Abu Sufyan in and make some inroads with him and he might, you know, help us out later and let's go with this tribe and... He said, hey, man, it is, it's, you're going to join us and, you know, have some nushra, have some power, give us some backbone with your tribe. You need to, you need to submit to Allah. Yeah. You need to submit to Allah and his messenger. Otherwise, khalas, we, we but, don't But need what you. about the helpful fudul? Like people say, yeah, but, you know, the Prophet, sallam, uh, before he was even a prophet, he participated, right, in this helpful fudul, right, of... You know, when, when the different uh, warring parties came, the, the tribes, and he participated where they all put the black stone on the cloth and lifted it up. And this, uh, yeah, well, you know, that, see, he is participating in the Kafir system. You might, you might go that route, yeah. That, right. That, that, that could be an argument. But I think but, what, what people misinterpret yeah. <laughs> from that is that there was only one instance in which he did that. Right, obviously before his nabuwa, before his prophethood. Right. And he did speak upon it that he doesn't regret doing it and he would have you know, he would have done it again. But you never heard him say or speak about ever you know, then permanently searching out avenues and ways to be in that system. It's like, no, that was a one time beautiful opportunity to do something that you know, would cause would settle well, make peace. Right, it would make peace and stop fighting. And the, okay, fine. But he didn't extrapolate that out to, I've got to now work. You know, hand Campaign. and <laughs> glove now with you know with the kafir and uh, go you know neck deep into their system. No, that, that's that's what I was just bringing that up. No, it's true. That's a good argument. When you say that, people argument. say yeah, yeah, but I'm like, mm, but I don't think you're understanding what that was. And you're also, I think, um, it, you're exaggerating what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so it jived with me coming into Islam like that's not, you know what? Well, I didn't do it before. And Islam is kind of saying, you don't really need to do that now. We didn't really see that in our history historically where we participated with other systems and said, okay, we'll kind of, you know, run side by side with each other. Uh, so I said, yeah, that, why even... Yeah, I'm good with that. That sounds fine to me. <laughs> Actually, you know, one of the, one of the most important things that the Muslims established when they went to Medina wasn't a government, uh, you know, because, again, this idea is today, right? They didn't try to establish a government. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they established a system of, like, how are we generally going to rule mm. and what are the laws? Oh, no. But one of the most important things they established was the sulk. Right. The market. Right. And so, and then also most importantly, um, they established a community. Right. Of which some of the Sahaba, but I mean, how many thousands of companions never left Medina? How many thousands of the successors of the companions, the the tabi'un? Mm-hmm. And the tabi'a tabi'in. Mm. How many, they never left. Why? It's like, look, we got it. We have, you know, I mean, sure, we could go to Basra. You know, we could go back to Mecca. You know, uh, we could go. But 
why we've got what we want to live a good life here and so they 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 consolidated themselves and i think that we're all suffering from a lot of hyper individualism where muslims even in areas where okay let's say let's just take every major city you know los angeles Houston, Philadelphia. Why is it within those cities the Muslims have not made efforts? Again, it's not something that can be done very... I'm not trying to sell something simple, Simon. But why is it after 60, 70, 80 years the Muslims have not made a greater effort to create their own enclaves, not different than... I mean, clearly... If there's a certain group of people that are like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that have built, you know, tunnels under New York City, (laughs) right? Zionists in a half shell, Uh, turtle power, right? You know, I'm just saying like, you know, like if you go to like here in L.A., like there is a there is a Jewish neighborhood in L.A. Now, is that the only place where Jews live? In Los Angeles, no, but there are definitely areas where there's concentration, or like in New York City. My question is, why have Muslims not made a greater effort over the decades to slowly try to, you know, move and create neighborhoods, not to not ghettos, not complete isolation, but you know. It, if anything, it seems to be more. It seems to be more diffusion, yeah. Right, yeah. Just dif- diffusion out into the the, the Kaffir landscape, and people are getting gobbled up. So, you know, it would be much easier to ensure the continuity of Islam in your family if not only there's a masjid and not only there's a Islamic school, but there is a Muslimish area like that's i have to say probably the closest place i came to feeling that was my time in philadelphia where there were a few spots in the city where it was a significant muslim presence mm-hmm. um it'll be interesting to see and sean i'm supposed to go back in a couple of weeks okay. and you know like i i lived for a couple of years around 45th and walnut because uh, I worked at the university, so it was close to the university. So we used to call that the halal quarter because that area, <laughs> yeah. you know, you had, you know, what, two or three masajid. Uh, you had, you know, I'm talking about maybe like within 10 blocks. Lots of Muslim families. Of course there were, I mean, of course, there were more non-Muslims than Muslims, but within that area, a large concentration of Muslims. Muslim shops and restaurants and masajid and schools and you know um great potential that they still have there to create areas of just greater versus lesser concentration why is this not something you know i don't 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 yeah. shoot don't shoot me now right but i just saw that they had cornell west come here to, to socal okay and they raised a hundred thousand dollars for his presidential campaign. Now I'm just gonna be honest. In my uh, opinion, I think this is sinful. 
for the Muslims to give their money to raise $100,000, which of course is not like a king's ransom, but still, you could raise $100,000 for a dude we all know ain't going to win. Cornell West no. has about as much of a chance of winning the presidency as he does the Boston Marathon. He's not going to win. Allahu alam, he ain't going to win. But we would raise that kind of money. Why are we not using that to acquire property, helping to concentrate our numbers? Why are we not building another school? You know how many Muslim families are complaining about how they're losing their kids in the public school system here? Because, of course, California is like ground zero for all of this, you know, woo-woo nonsense. But no effort to build schools or even imagine the few schools that we have. There's a couple of schools that are so expensive that many Muslims can't afford to send their kids to those schools. Right. Well, what about taking that hundred grand and creating a scholarship fund to help some lesser fortunate Muslim kids have a chance even for a few years to attend a Muslim school to help solidify their identity. But we're going to raise $100,000 for a dude that is merely playing into our emotions, that has zero chance of winning the election, and who holds beliefs and policies that are in direct contravention to what we believe as Muslims. Right. Yeah. I know I'm going to catch you for this one. You're going to get it big time. But the facts are the facts, and... um it just, yeah. It for me, it's a shame too because we have so many other efforts we could have put that we could put towards. Um, but you know, it boils down to the question: What do we want? And that's a good. That's a good. Um, right. Even in that case, all right, you're going to give a hundred thousand dollars to Cornell West. What's he going to do if he wins? Let's say. He well, wins. no. What do you want him to do? Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's, let's treat it like a business. If I come to you and say, Dawood. I need to borrow a hundred thousand uh, dollars for for some for my business. You're gonna say, "Well, what is your business? What are you making? How viable is it? And most importantly, what do I get in return if I if I'm gonna invest a hundred grand into your product, your company? Well, you're not doing it as a sadaqa. You're doing it why? Because hopefully you'll get something back. You would have every right to say, "Well." You know, show me the numbers. Show me the research. What am I going to get out of this? What is the return? You know, as an investor, I don't really like to invest in things unless I'm going to be getting, you know, uh, 15 or 18 percent. You know, like I have a certain, you know, like I have my charities and I give my money to my charities. But the last time I checked, you ain't no charity and neither is Cornell West. So what is it that you are expecting for him to do? What can he do? And I don't mean any disrespect to Dr. West. I'm just saying, what can he do? And then there's also some things that Dr. West says that I'm like, you know what? I don't think I can get down with that. No. And I don't need it. 
right? But I could have maybe invested that $100,000 in my community that might have been able to do something for my community. Yeah. Uh, even if it wasn't like, okay, sure, you can't build an Islamic school for hundred grand, but you know what? Maybe you could create like an after-school program for Muslim kids. Uh, I'm just saying, like, no, no, I mean, why would we give him a hundred thousand dollars? The point is, is that hundred grand is an indication that actually, probably, um, half a million could be raised for our efforts. If you could just do that for that person who's a non-Muslim, right? We could. It looks like we can really contribute to do some real work for our community. And if that's the case, why isn't that happening? Well, and, and that's a good question. I'd like to, to tap into that because if we did a comparison with other communities, even a Buddhist community, they got temples all over the place. They're, they're pretty wealthy themselves and get themselves organized. You don't hear a peep out of them. Vote, non-vote. Right. There's no Buddhist trying to run for office or yeah. anything. And, and so the point is, is that I think we come with a mindset, whether that's overtly or covertly, of Asabia. We have this nationalistic pride of wherever we might be coming from. We're right ground zero right here. No, I'm, I'm, I'm American. What are you talking about? American Muslim or whatever it might be. Um, we have this maybe pervasive individualistic attitude, and we don't know how to manage money. We're we're financially illiterate, and we take our cues from non-Muslim financiers, which is based in riba and all these other things. So yeah, they can make pretty good money. I mean, there's just a myriad of factors that might contribute to the reasoning as to why we just can't get it together and just hold tight to the rope of Allah, come together, and really do some community organizing. organizing. It, it, I, yeah. So those are some real questions that we need to think about because I'm really into organizing and being with the community. You know, I mean, I know how, how important it is without us. Without a group, a small group, man, I'm, I'm left to the wolves by myself, you know. And I, I've learned that just from, from the street, from my, you, you, you need a group. You do. <laughs> you need some people. Right? Yeah. Uh, and we got the best of people. So what's going on here? Um, are we too fascinated with everything going around? Are we distracted? Are we busy with our lives like most Americans are? Yes, most likely. But we have a common thread which is our dean, and we should be going back to that and getting it together. Is it because we work in non-Muslim companies? Are we, you know, fractionalized in, in different many ways in our thinking? Yeah, probably. Um, we're not coming around the masajids. We're not, you know, engaging there's, there's, enough. There's also things that are, I think we need to look deeply, like, at ourselves, and what is it that formulates our deep, almost sort of say pre-rational values, values about ourselves, values about uh, other things that we want to have, and and really do some some introspection because, um, you know, when you mentioned the, you know, the thing about the Mercedes, <laughs> you know, or, no, but that's a good one, right? Why why do people want to drive a Mercedes Benz? 
is it you know i mean i i, I actually i had a old i had a really beautiful uh 69 450 sel 6.9 liter v8 mercedes classic benz and i can say number one that ain't like the mercedes that they make today sure the cars they make today got every bell and whistle you could have on it but man now that car oh beautiful car and there's this great instagram profile that's all about the 450 scl and shows pictures of people that happen from around the world and what but okay that car it's very easy to say why you would want to own that car like it has some really indelible qualities that are there. But for, let's be honest, Mercedes-Benz is a symbol to let other people know you got some money. Right. It's an indication of you should like and respect me because I got this symbol that, that says so, right? Um, personally, I can think of other cars. Like I would rather drive my Tundra than a Benz. I'll just be honest. Right. I take I take my I take my 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 my, my 2018 Tundra over any Mercedes Benz right now, just because I personally get much more enjoyment and utility out of my Tundra than I would a Benz. Right. And I can fit in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I can fit in it, and it doesn't feel like a cheap plastic toy. Um, but yeah, you know that you know, are we? doing things or participating in things because also they give off the odor of respectability, you know? Um, Are we playing now with politics a little bit? Well, we've got our candidate that we can throw some money at and say, look what we've done, you know, so that now we feel like we're doing something, you know, give us some uh, respectability and cred. Is Is that why? Without actually really looking at is this thing actually worth anything? Is it even any fun to drive? I've always felt personally, I know this is probably going to offend some people, like when it comes to Mercedes, I've always thought Mercedes-Benz is the most soulless. <laughs> it, 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 it has no character whatsoever. At least a BMW, you know, it's got kind of like, it's got a racing history to it. You know, um, I mean, I just like pickup trucks. But I would rather have a BMW than a Mercedes. Okay. Right. Um, but there's definitely no way, you know, you, you can make yourself appear to be, you know, very respectable by having that little symbol. Um, and, of course, and this this is something my people are, are, are still struggling with, sometimes, you know, People that ain't got nothing will go for the cheapest low-hanging fruit of that brand to have a prox- to have proximity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to to something of value, yeah. right? So you know we're not getting the AMG V12, you know. No, we gonna get the E class. We are gonna get the cheap. We are gonna get the cheapest thing. Right, the poor man. We're gonna get the cheapest model from the luxury brand. Just to have approximation to it. So we can't really do real politics. So we're going to get Cornell West. <laughs> and we're going to get $100,000 for Cornell West, right? So we get approximation to power. We get approximation to politics. Mm-hmm. You know, we get approximation to 
politics that seems to give a damn about us, whether it really does or not. And, and two, whether you give a damn about me or not, if you're not able to to actualize anything you know positive for me, then in many ways, what is that? That's nothing other than again approximation. So I, I, I kind of I don't know, man. I, I I really feel like we have some. You would think after our experience as Muslims, from the pre to post nine eleven era to the Trump era, now to the Biden, Israel, Gaza area, era, that you would really think that we would be ready to sit down and say, hmm, okay, you know, we we really got to come up with a different way to do this. We seem to be on track for just repeating the same bad mistake. But may Allah well, that forbid. Might, that might be, uh, you know, you, you, you spark. And, and that's what these conversations are about, you know, America out there and our listeners. Uh, these conversations are about to come with solutions, provide solutions, think up, think up, get the conversation going and let maybe move it in a different direction. And so maybe what you just said, brother, is uh, we might have to make a conference and say, hey, guys, let let let's, you know, buy your ticket, come sit down with us and let's put our heads together. Yeah, I mean, we just had I mean, a. I wasn't. I was invited to speak at it, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend due to some family commitments. But they just had a. Uh, they just had a conference here this past weekend in Irvine, on masculinity. And inshallah, it was successful and, and whatnot. But I also feel like that's another example. Like, why are we having? Con- and I don't mean any disrespect. I was invited to the conference. I would have spoken. But also, if I had been there, I would have brought this up. Um, and I'm not attacking anybody. I'm not attacking the organizers. I'm just interrogating our thinking is that why are we talking about masculinity? That's, you know, that's, that, you know, the, the, that's the hot button topic now, toxic masculinity, on and on and on. Uh, issues of gender. Like, this is a problem for the kafir. Because as Allah says, وَلَمَّا جَاءَهُ الْحَقُّ Right? بَلْ كَذَّبُوا بِالْحَقِّ لَمَّا جَاءَهُ وَهُمْ فِي أَمْرٍ مَرِيجٍ Right? But they always deny the truth when it comes to them. And so as a result, they are all completely confused about who they are. فَهُمْ فِي أَمْرٍ مَرِيجٍ For me, the whole conversation about masculinity, you know, because it was like, you know, how, how can we... I, number one, there's not one flavor of masculinity. And I even say that, I mean, look, my last name is Manly. So if there's anybody that has the final say, you know, my last name is Manly. I'm, you know, the embodiment of manliness, of traditional, like, you know, like I'm a big dude. I have a deep voice. I have a bald head. I, I, I have a, my last name is Manly. I'm a, almost like a caricature. I don't see the embodiment. I'm more like a caricature of, you know, traditional. Well, like I like to, I always like to make fun of myself. So I'm more like a caricature of, of you know, traditional masculinity. Right. But. I was listening to that dude that you and I sometimes watch. Uh, what's his name? Andrew Henderson, the, the digital nomad. Right, right, right. And he was talking recently in one of his videos about masculinity, about how, 
you know, some people feel like, you know, the, the most masculine guy is the one that can, you know, knock somebody out with one punch or can, you know, deadlift 800 pounds or, you know, whatever. And he's like, you know, I think the most masculine guy is the one that can provide for his family the best, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, and if anybody that know, if you don't know him, like, he's like this kind of nerdy white guy with glasses, you know. He looks like he might be taller than average, but, like, he's not, he doesn't look like he has an athletic okay, bone in his body, man. right? He's not an imposing figure, you know, clearly very intelligent, and he uses his mind. Um, now, for some people, that would not be very masculine right. because, you know, he's not like some big, you know, you know, super yoked jack dude. And so to me, this is not a problem for us. When I say that, I'm not saying that there aren't issues with men in our community, but that's more of an issue of behavior and other things. And to me, it's not like Christ, like they've, you know, because of the Andrew Tateism of the world and this other stuff that now it's like there's some crisis well, one, they love to manufacture things. You know, what, what did Brother Ali say? You know, you manufacture uh, the poison and then you try to sell me the remedy, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so to me, it's not a crisis. Are there men out there that aren't doing what men should be doing? Sure. Um, there are many men that are out there that got, you know, 8% body fat and are super muscular and, and they're completely dysfunctional as men. So we have to be careful of creating simple answers to things, but also be careful of not blowing, you know, creating a fire and then fanning the flames and acting like, you know, oh, this catastrophe. No, we, this is something that we're making up inside our own heads. Two, I really feel like one, let's have a, if we're going to, let's have a conference and like, Let's make women feminine again. And I don't mean to imply that that women aren't feminine, but just like I almost feel like some women that want to be like, I just want to be a woman, that that gets attacked mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, all these issues, you know. Yeah. Uh, and more importantly, we need to have mechanisms that support men becoming men and women becoming women and scruples so that when they don't, that stuff isn't acceptable in the community, but also we reward people when they do. Mm. You know, uh, I mean, we, we as a community claim to value, um, you know, piety and uh, sexual fidelity and, you know, all these things. And yet you and I know Man, every dude we know that's got a daughter, you know, can't find a suitor for his daughter because half of these Muslim cats running around here, you know, either don't want to get married, don't want the responsibility, or they want to marry some Kaffir chick, you know. Um, and so we're not we're not rewarding femininity very well. Like we can complain about the feminists. I mean, this is my issue with like the Daniels of the world that want to just you know, bemoan feminism. Sure, feminism has its issues. I also feel like those that, if they were seriously interested in confronting feminism, would also seriously listen to some of the gripes of feminists. That doesn't mean you agree with them, but like, l listen to what they say and then formulate your responses to it. But beyond that, like, we can complain about feminism all we want. We do not reward uh, uh, femininity very well in our community. 
No, we we can certainly. Oh man, look at that! Look at that sister. She doesn't have on hijab, or she's not wearing it right, or this or that. You know, we don't reward it very well, right? You know, um, so I'm just saying, like, they, they had this 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 uh, conference. I'm like, do you understand? Like, we have a crisis of Muslim kids not socializing with other Muslim kids. Where do most kids socialize? In school. And then outside of school, you know, it's very hard for, there's no Muslim neighborhoods. It's not very easy for Muslim kids to get together and socialize with other Muslim kids. To me, that's the conference we need to be have and take that hundred grand we gave to Dr. West and put it to some type of, you know, thing like that and add some more to it versus a... That's low-hanging, easy fruit. What are you going to get together? Well, you know, you should deadlift and you should eat, you know, 200 grams of protein a day. I mean, sure. I mean, if you want to just have a conference about fitness, fine. You know, whatever. But let's not conflate that for, like, simple answers for complicated problems like masculinity. And, two, don't assume, like, man, because that's an issue for the Kafir. That's an issue for us. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely some um, recalibrating that needs to be done in regards to what issues we're going to tackle first. And I, and again, you know, there's always um, if, if, to brainstorm these concepts of what is the what is the factors affecting our community. Usually, there's there's some foundational stuff that just has not been corrected. The foundation is cracked. We need to mend that foundation and get that aligned so we can build the house again proper. Um, finance, like you said, building strong communities that are maybe in close proximity. And I think to you do know, that, we have to rebuild the affinity of the Muslim for his or her fellow Muslim. Yeah. You know, we do not have strong enough affinity for Islam. We have a great assumption about our uh, Muslimness because maybe many of us were born in a Muslim, so-called Muslim land or come from a so-called Muslim culture. But even for the so-called converts, uh, we now live in a time where when you go to the when you go to the masajid, they're empty, and everybody complains about this or that, uh, which goes to these entitlement issues. I think that you know we need to work on repairing the affinity of the Muslim for Islam, and I think the best way to do that is going to be other. Muslims, leaders, teachers, other people, like really the human capital. We don't invest in human capital. We will invest in a gigantic empty building in a heartbeat and we'll magically fundraise millions of dollars to buy it somehow. And then we will have an absolute conniption about hiring an imam full time (laughs) and paying them more than $40,000 a year. I mean, just really crazy stuff. But, you know, what is it that's going to, what is it that drew the people to Islam at the time of the Prophet, Mm. 
it was the prophet. His personality, his character, drew the people to him. They drew they, he he drew the people to Islam. Right. Um, and we have to go back to, I think, that kind of model. Investing in human capital. You know, the way that we have that running right now, it's only the people that are willing, A, that have the, 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 that really have the desire to want to, say, study the religion. And then B, they are reckless enough to sacrifice themselves, their lives and their families and take a vow of poverty uh, to then become leaders in the community. You know, and so we're 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 instead of you know working to, to say shore up the foundation, well, shoring up that foundation is what? Where the where's the next crop? Like you know, Imam Suhaib and I are always asking, where's the next Imam Suhaib? Mm-hmm. Where's the next Sherman Jackson? Where is the next Hamza Yusuf? Where's the next Mark Manley? Where's you know? Where are these people? How are we cultivating them? You know, we love to bask in the genius of, you know, Sheikh Hamza and Dr. Jackson and uh, Imam Omar. And uh, we love to bask in their genius and their talents. But what are we doing when these people are gone? Right. Versus actively you know tilling the soil so that we create the best and brightest and most dynamic men and women that will attract and help to uh you know in some ways they're going to be like the the bee the worker bees that will go around and pollinate all the flowers to germinate mm-hmm. and make the honey we're not doing that yeah. It's like a it's a kind of Olympics. You know, then we'll pull out our little set of cars and well, you know, his chutbah was about a seven point eight and <laughs> her talk was a this and you know, he's 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 a he's a eight point five you know, that's what it is. We've reduced it to a an Olympics. Right. No, this is these are the, the the issue that we're facing. Yeah, man, I might, I might have to go into the witness protection program after this one, man. Well, that I usually after I hide out for a while. Yeah, a, a couple of weeks so. we got to go and hide <laughs> out. <laughs> People hating on this one, but no, I mean the truth hurts, and um, but it heals too. It heals, you know, and uh, obviously engaged. whatever truth was in this is from Allah. But um, I know, ho- hopefully this will. Stimulate some people to get some thought, and get some conversations and thoughts going wherever they are. So, yeah, we got to get some coffee going, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, inshallah, <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode. Assalamu alaikum. And that's episode 10 of the Middle Ground Muslim Podcast. Again, with your host here, Imam Mark Manley, joined again by Brother Dawood. Amen. We sincerely hope that our conversation and some of the ideas that we put forward 
will be taken in the light of trying to spark uh, conversations and introspection versus anything divisive. As always, we welcome your feedback, so leave us a comment. If you happen to be listening on any of the main platforms like Spotify or iTunes, consider leaving us a review that helps us out a little bit. And also drop us a line and let us know perhaps uh, what you would like to hear in some upcoming episodes. Jazakum alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.